The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. This is Conspiranormal, where the nexus of conspiracy theory and the paranormal meet. And now, we join the show already in progress with your hosts, Adam and Seraphiel. Okay. Well, guys, uh, welcome back to Conspiracy Normal. I'm here. It's Adam and uh, this guy. We have on the line a guest here that I've found out about from being on the Nashville Podcasters um, group, and that is a uh, also a uh, lives here in Nashville. And uh, her name is Naomi Van Winkle, and she has a book out and a podcast about the called cult in connecticut and we are going to be talking about her life and her experiences in the king's chapel church i believe that's right naomi yes okay now a lot of people don't know about this group um i i had definitely never heard of it until i s- listened to your podcast and just basically, yeah. I'd seen you talk about it on the on the Nashville Podcasters group. We, I said that like you know I'd like to have you on to talk about it, and where you're here. So, hi, here I am. <laughs> what? <laughs> we made it happen. How, well, look, so so let's start with this. I think this will be a good way to start. What made you want to start this project? 
this podcast that you're you're calling Cult in Connecticut? What made you want to do this? When did I start to basically want to do the project, yeah. like yeah. have the inspiration or whatever to do it? Yeah. Um, so I kind of talk about that in my book. I have this little short it's very short. Don't expect it to be long. It's very short. It's my first book. So it's like, I just wanted to get something done and uh, get started on writing. And so I did this little short memoir about my childhood in this cult. And I can't, it's called the cult in my living room inside the King's chapel, my childhood inside the King's chapel. Um, So I talk a little bit about why I, basically decided to do this um but it really was coming from wanting more healing from the trauma that took place um you know having you know I look like I'm I'm thriving in society I have a business I have you know I'm married with kids and you know uh, like but there are things throughout the day that trigger me um there are like thoughts, like negative thoughts, negative feelings that I'm really trying to work through and I'm really trying to heal from. And a part of that is diving in and finding out why am I feeling this way? Why am I having these thoughts, you know? Um, And a lot of it has turned out to be things that were stemmed from this group and the things that the people believed in this group. And I grew up in it and I was born into it. And I just am learning how to deprogram myself. So the project for me has been a part of this healing process. So it's been, it's been therapeutic to just kind of go it's through It's been it. very therapeutic. That's what it's all about for me. Um, but it has turned also into this thing where uh, I'm, I'm able to shine a light on this place that nobody knows about yet. And it's a small little cult that it was this independent thing that no one knows about yet and it's so different than from anything else I've ever of course you know if you learn about a bunch of different cults they all have these similar things which I think is so fascinating you know like the charismatic leaders and you know the manipulation and control but and the brainwashing and stuff but um this one is different to me um it, you know, they labeled themselves as a Christian church, but it was a little more extreme than a Christian church. So there were things about it that it, it's kind of like a Christian church, but it's also kind of a cult, too. So, um, you know, it's very interesting, very fascinating. So I worked on, the pro- you know, the project for me as like a healing thing and the book. Um, and But I it also has turned into this, you know, informative thing where we're able to shine this light on this group. And I feel that it's an important topic that, you know, in humanity, that this is happening, that there's this manipulation and and control and and stuff going on in these groups, in this group setting, not even in a group setting, you know. Can you, can you talk a little Um, bit about how you structured the podcast? Like what, uh, how you've put it together what you're kind of uh, with doing this podcast as not necessarily like an interview format like ours or you really just what you're doing is collecting these people's firsthand testimonials. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that while you decided to kind of structure it that way? 
yeah. So basically I didn't know how it was going to look and how it was going to work out. And I really didn't know if it was going to be just me working on this project and not, I didn't know if I would have any contributors or anybody to interview, but there were these people that were prior members that stepped out and told me that they wanted to support me through this, through my healing journey. They wanted to support me in this and stand with me and they were brave enough and courageous enough to share their story. And it was very difficult. I'm sure on everybody, it was definitely very difficult for me um, because we were taught to never say anything negative about the church or the group or the people in it, or, you know, that is a major sin. Like God hates you if you do that. So, (laughs) you know, I was definitely uh, had a lot of fear with it with doing the project um but i'm so glad i did it but i've had a lot of support these contributors who ended up saying that they would be a part of it i ended up just doing random recordings with them and just wanted to find out really honestly out of sheer curiosity what is their story because my mind has always played games with me like was this real did this really happen was it really as bad as i remember or as my nightmares say that it was sure and um i've held that inside i haven't really talked about it with a lot of people uh not a lot of people know that i was in a cult or know my childhood story or know about my family and where i came from and stuff i kind of have kept that hidden and on a lockdown which i talk about in my book but basically you know after I did these recordings with these contributors, I just, it just started magically flowing and coming together. I cannot even tell you uh, really how, but it just was falling. It just started falling into place. It really, really did. You know, each person corroborated each other's stories, but none of them talked about what they were going to say. Like no one had, not that I know of, no one had contact with each other. Um, this was over a span of many months yes, and all their, all their stories were very, I've listened to the whole thing and all their stories are very, very similar to the, uh, it's to insane the other. To me. They have very similar it was, experiences. It was, yeah. It was so, um, validating for me to hear person after person after person describe the things that I thought maybe I could remember, but I didn't know a hundred percent. Um, one of the things that I deal with is, is my mind has blocked out some, you know, whole years of my life. So, um, you know, it's done that to protect, protect me. Um, but it was so validating because I've had nightmares about so many different things. And then I wake up and I'm like, I I must be insane. Like, you know, it must not be real. It must not be true. But then, uh, listening to those interviews and I know that there's so many more details and topics that I was not able to, uh, cover, but because I just have these specific stories to work with, um, there are more details or, or are more topics that I wasn't able to cover. But it was enough to really help me get to my next uh, place to where I could really start seeing, like, light um, through the trees again and uh, start really validating that myself validating myself validating my memories and hey it was all real it was all true you know um were these people that was awesome were these people people that you had kept up with over the years or were they 
Had you sent out an email to to them, or how did you? How were you able to track them down? I think I pretty much like sent them a Facebook message, like, "Hey, I haven't talked to you in forever, and I'm doing yeah. this, and um, will you be a part of it?" And I reached out to a lot of people. Like, I had a whole scroll list, like Santa's scroll list of people that I could remember, and I asked them all and and those were the people that responded and said yes um there were a lot of people that were supportive but they're just either not they were were not either ready or were not interested or um willing or whatever to to tell their story and share um but for me I felt like at the time the truth would set me free (laughs) and I was kind of on to everybody like the truth will set you free and we must do this. But now I kind of look back and I kind of have compassion on people that weren't able to share because, you know, it was an extremely difficult and painful and scary thing to do. So it's not that, you know, I don't, I don't have judgment for anybody that wasn't a part of it, but I really am thankful for the people that were willing to be a part of it. And it just turned out so beautiful. It turned out, I'm so proud of it. It's like a a work of art to me. Um, And it's just something that it's like, you know, if you do believe in God or the divine or whatever, it just really did fall or, or just magic. It just fell into place um, just so perfectly because each part, you know, the whole thing builds and then the whole thing, you know, each person shares more details and then more details and, you know, different topic that's important. Um, it just all fell, fell together and it came out so good. Do you feel comfortable? So do you feel comfortable talking about kind of like the origins of the church? Yeah. And just the basic, the basic structure. Yeah. So like where it starts, like, who starts you know, it. This is like super hard for me to talk about and also I grew I was born into it and I grew up in it so I am like this second generation person there's a whole uh crew of second generation kids uh-huh. um that were born and, and grew up in the grew up in this church yes and we all uh, I don't want to speak for everyone but I want to say I can probably say it would be accurate that a lot of us if not all of us if not most of us have had a lot of severe uh, struggles, um, you know, with trauma and all different kinds of things, um, pain and uh, all different kinds of battles or whatever you want to call it. Um, the aftermath, the psychological aftermath of this place. Um, but basically, so I am not familiar. That was one of my questions when I was going into working on this project is how did this thing happen? You know, how, where did it get started? How did it happen? So there's, there are a few episodes that touch on it. Seth talks about it and, and Jane talks about it, about they were there when it kind of got started and became more and more and more intense. And they kind of describe in their episodes how it gets more intense as it goes along. Um, But I guess it got started there were, so I, I guess, you know, I guess my answer to that question is the Seth episode and the Jane episode would definitely help explain right. it. Okay. Um, but 
basically, from what I can understand from their episodes, it started as like a small little thing, small little church, and maybe like some home groups, home churches, churches and living rooms, I guess. And then there was some sort of um, I, what is, what's the word that Seth Seth uses? I can't remember, but um, uh, crusade. He covered a crusade that uh, John Hibbert and maybe even Cyro the prophet, they come to town and they come to Norwich, Connecticut and basically start teaming up with this group of people. And, and so they, they were from, it turns into this. They were from England. They were from England. Right. Mm-hmm. So John Hibbert and, and Cyro uh, were from England and they came to the United States on a crusade and I'm going to guess that this was the 70s. I'm not really sure what year exactly it was. But it was before I was born. I was born in 1982. So I was born into this group. And it was already kind of uh, established from what I can from what I can gather. Mm-hmm. It's, I still don't know. It's like there's a lot of like, I feel like there was a lot of secrecy. I don't really even know all of the whole history of it. Right. It's um, almost like the origin story is... Together. The origin story is 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 obscured for people that have been yeah. in it, that are born into it. Like it's like this yeah. magical thing that came from nowhere, but like no, it has an origin. So sorry to interrupt you. I just and it to... and it really centers no, around these two churches, right? There's Bethel Church it, that's in yeah. England, and then King's Chapel is uh-huh. in Connecticut, right? Yeah, those are the main. Bodies. So basically, the main thing is is there were these two sister churches. We called them sister churches. And one was in England, and one was in Connecticut. One was in Norwich, Connecticut. Um, so there was a congregation in Norwich, Connecticut. There was a congregation in Bethel. Uh, I mean, in England, Mansfield, Woodhouse, England. And John Hibber and Cyro, who was the quote-unquote prophet, she they lived in England. And then we had a you know leadership team here. In, in Norwich, Connecticut, in the United States. Um, and I grew up, I was born in Connecticut, and my, my parents were already involved in, into this group, in this group. So, so I grew up in it. Okay. So, yeah, I can kind of, if you want, I mean, I, I listen to the podcast, especially like Seth's story. If you want, I, I, I could give some origin of it from what I can remember. And there is actually a Wikipedia. Sure. Well, I would love Wikipedia for people article. to listen. If, yeah. Yeah. I would love for people to listen to the podcast themselves and, um, you know, hear it directly from, from Seth and, and Jocelyn touches on it. Jane touches on it. And then, yes, there are um, there are those articles. And then, yeah, Wikipedia, and there are those newspaper articles. In 1999, people came uh, out and and shared their stories in a newspaper article, and um, a bunch of people, and they were able to tell their stories. And I really did go through those newspaper articles a lot when I was working on this podcast project, and really, those were really the groundwork for the podcast. Um, so I'm really thankful for those newspaper articles. Um, I was actually in the cult at the time, 
when those newspaper articles came out and I remember the reaction of everyone <laughs> in the church when those newspaper articles came out and it was just like, I don't know, just complete denial. And I had to avoid all of the people that were in the newspaper articles, you know, cause mm-hmm. we were shunned. We had to shun anyone who either said anything negative about the church or left the church or, um, so that's what we were taught. So we were not able to to talk to those people anymore. Um, but I remember in the church, they had a sermon after the newspaper articles came out, and they were kind of talking like they kind of had they kind of had this sermon that said that you know God has like sifted sifted them like wheat or something like that. They he, they were talking about how. Yeah. God kind of sifts out the bad ones and keeps the good ones. And we obviously are the good ones. And that's why we have stayed and stayed committed and stayed devoted and, and, and stayed in it. Um, and so, those are the bad ones. So it seems like that was a common, common thing to happen was this ostracization. Was that something that you would experience all the time? Like you would know somebody, you might be friends or family friends. And then all of a sudden, like you just could not interact with them anymore. Yes, Definitely. Yeah, um, that's a common thing yeah. with cults. That's, I mean, so you're either all the way in or just too. all the way out. There's no right, right. Well, the Scientologists do that. What is that? Uh, suppressed person mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I think yeah. that part of the the part of some of this for you that when you talk about this in your book is that actually, it's funny we mentioned Scientology because you kind of started on this path to this project that you're doing. Because you watched that Leah Remini special, which I've never watched, uh, yeah. but I, I've seen the documentary going oh through God. about Scientology. Yeah. And I'm sure that that oh, brought yeah. back some things to you as well, some memories oh, for you. Oh, gosh. Like, I can hardly get through the Going Clear documentary. It is so, I mean, it, it, when I was watching the Going Clear documentary, my heart was racing so fast. I, I really was like, you know what? This isn't healthy for me to even watch right now like I got through a lot of it but it was just like you know there's only so much I can take right now in this moment and I feel like I can't take much more um it was if you're able to even watch one episode of the Leah Remini Scientology in the Aftermath watch season one episode one that episode it was talking about you know if you're declared a suppressive person if you leave the church then everyone has to shun you and turn their back on you and stop and disconnect from you, stop talking to you. And this is, this is family members, you know? And so everyone's crying on this episode and it really touched me. It really moved me powerfully. Um, I bawled like a baby and it really, there was a light bulb that went on when I watched this and I just thought, I can't believe that this is real, that this, that this happened to me. You know, my family, my mom had to turn her back on me basically and cut ties with me um, because I left, uh, because I left when I was 18. Um, And also I had to turn my back and stop talking to my dad um, because he left when I was a junior in high school. And that was a really, really rough thing to go through, very traumatizing thing to go through. Um, and I talk more about that in my, my episode, which is episode one, if you want to hear you know, my whole story. 
So some people left voluntarily, right? And then some people were just kicked out pretty much. I do not know the ins and outs of that. That was actually new information to me when I was doing the podcast project. Um, so, you know, I, I, uh, learned that there were people that were, you know, like there was a person that was outed for being gay and like cast out of the church and like publicly humiliated and shamed. And, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to guess that there were lots of people. You have two people that talk about that same incident. Her son was like cast out of the church and they were like, don't ever be a part of it. You know, don't ever come back. Um, who else? I can't remember. Um, but yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it happened. Let I'm me, sure. Let me say this with a, give a little bit of background here about like how this works. This is from listening to your podcast and just other research that I've done. And it was built around, really, the church was built around this woman named Jean Spademan that everybody called Syro, correct? And yes. she took this this name Syro, I guess it was kind of like an unofficial nickname from this obscure reference in the Bible to the Syro Phoenician woman. Um, I don't know where, I don't know what book that's in, but I'll have to look that up off the top of my head. But so she, so she takes this name called Syro. Now they called her a prophet and she said, well, I'm not a prophet and all this kind of thing. But, but the way that she would work is that she would come up with just, and it seemed random just listening to these people's stories. It seemed random to me how she would do this. Like all of a sudden she would say, you have lust in your heart or you have pride in your heart. And she would just pick a random person. And then she would have, uh, she would have all like final say on like the naming of people's children. And you even talk about this, you talk about this in your story, how basically she would call people to tell someone else what she was feeling about them, but she would relay that she would be talking on the phone to that person and that person would relay that to you. And that was again and again and again and again. And it was all, they talked about how she would listen to like, she would watch Jerry Springer, she would read like the National Enquirer. She would have people buy stuff for her. And honestly, truly, if you look at her, the story, like I think, um, I think it's uh, Hibbert, I think, encounters her, that he goes to, to save her from these voices that she was hearing. And he casts out these demons, supposedly, right? And then one day... Yeah. I think this is in Seth's story. She, she's, she's, this is just stuff that stuck with me. It, she, she's making a cake. And she, the, the recipe calls for two eggs. And she hears this voice say, one egg. And she bakes it with one egg, right? But, and she said, well, that, since she was already clear to the demons, that was God, obviously, telling her to use one egg. And... It seems to me like she was schizophrenic. You know, I mean, it, it would. I mean, do you? Hey, you said it, not me. Yeah. I'm not a. I'm not a uh, physician. Yeah, well, I mean, so, if you're hearing voices, something is going you know. on. Something, something is going on. I mean, something just like may, may we talk about a lot of paranormal stuff on this show. 
we talk about a lot of paranormal stuff on this show and people hearing voices <laughs> and that kind of thing. But it's just like that seemed to me that she was she had some kind of mental issue. But the I think there are a lot of people that their general consensus is that she may have you know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But you know, for me, I don't. I, I have no idea what what the diagnosis is. But obviously, there was something harmful going on here in right. her mind, right. and that's all I know. Um, but so the yeah, mind of the leader about her affects everyone else. There, there's this thing about her that you know Seth describes. A, a few people might describe it, but where she kind of is two different people. Like she is this loving grandmother that has tons of family. And then in a, in an instant, in a flash, she's this, uh, cold, mean, cruel character. And I'm going to be honest with you. You know, none of this is, easy to talk about but it's 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 this is something that i deal with in my own life that i can be this warm wonderful beautiful loving uh sensitive vulnerable innocent you know kind of person and then it's just like almost just like snap i like uh i don't know and i i always wondered what is that about me because it's just not me you know, and I realize it is from this environment. That is how a lot of it, the a lot of the adults were. That was the environment that I was in. This is yeah. this was common, common. So it's it like, like it's being passed everyone, down. As all every modeling. adult you know, it's like almost. I don't want to say every single adult, okay? Because I think some of them, I don't know how they just were just normal and nice, but a lot of them. They're just wonderful, beautiful people, but then in an instant, snap. Like, you don't know what to expect. You don't know. So I I grew up always really walking on eggshells because I was scared. I didn't know what to expect from anyone. Like, what if I do something wrong, say something wrong, roll my eyes, you know, do something that's not quote-unquote right because they were very obsessed, this group of people, were very obsessed with being right with God and doing the right thing, thinking the right thoughts, uh, saying the right thing. And they were all very sure, 100%, what they what they believe is right for me to do and say and act and believe, you know, they were, they were 100% sure that they were... I was potentially... That's how they kind of looked at everybody around them. That's how we were trained, to look at each other in this group and to look at ourselves, to be super critical and super judgmental and hard on ourselves and hard on the people around us. That was the environment. And I honestly believe that it stemmed potentially all the way up to Syro. And Syro, you know, created this environment. I don't know if it was just her, but I feel like, you know, I, I I think I really still need to dive into that. Like, was it just her, or were there more leaders that were really cultivating this environment where we have to snitch on each other, we have to 
basically be our brother's keeper and really, you know, focus on, I need to focus on Adam and make sure he's saying the right thing, doing the right thing. <laughs> and he doesn't misbehave. He doesn't do anything out of line. He, do, he does the right thing at all times because I am concerned. And they talk about this in the, in the podcast, you know, like Danielle talks about it. I'm concerned for you that, because this would happen a lot. I'm concerned for you that you're not walking with Jesus and Jesus is not happy with you. And if yeah. you do anything out of line in their eyes and you don't do something specifically the way that they think you should, and it's all based on their feelings and their, their thoughts in their mind and their feeling, they go, they went a lot with feeling. Like I really feel they were very passionate, very passionate about their feelings, which, you know, in a way I think that's a, a good thing to be really passionate about. But like everything else, if but, it's being misused by someone or being misused by a group, that's, I mean, it, it can become a negative thing. And, and I think yeah. what, you, what you're, what, what you're talking about there is like the reason why it could be the way it was, was just maybe like, like people will go to like people. And you definitely had at the top of this organization. And I wanted to bring this up too. Um, a, a few shows ago, it's been a few months now, we had this guy on named Alex Simchuk. And Alex did this great documentary called The Slave Circle. And it was about multi-level marketing. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with that whole world of multi-level marketing. or, or Are you familiar with that kind of? Tiny that? bit, yeah. Yeah. So I would, I would recommend this documentary to you to watch. You can actually find it for free on YouTube or Amazon Prime. It's on there called The Slave Circle. And Alex basically draws a lot of comparisons to the way the world of multi-level marketing work to a cult. So basically you have these people that go into like a Walmart or some kind of box store and they sell stuff, right? And they've got to answer to this other person. And then this other person answers to the other person. And everybody's like making, make, the, the higher you go, the more money you make. Well, you know, that's, that sounds normal, right? Most organizations are like that. Except at the people at the very bottom are basically slaves being told that they can get something out of what they are doing eventually. That they'll be on the top, which they never actually get there. Right. And it, but it works very much like a cult works. It, a lot of things are designed to kind of make you work so much that it just drags you down. You lose your energy. You lose your heart for anything else. You're just constantly embroiled in this, in this world of multi-level marketing. And it was interesting to me, I think this was in Danielle's story, that King's Chapel it starts to use these multi-level market multi-level marketing techniques it where like she had 12 people that she would disciple under her and that she had someone over her and it's just like the world of a cult and market level multi-level marketing are just like now cross-pollinating each other and so they work very much the right. same way and there was in your podcast where they just talked about how basically you had the one guy that owned the tire store that was one of the elders, I guess, of the church. He had the people, minister, the pa head pastor. He had people working for him for free, 
for free yeah. because he just had them believing. And then, and there were there's um and there's things about there's also there's sorry to cut you off I didn't mean to cut you it's off okay. um it's okay. there was um there were people that would come from England and volunteer at his business um you know I think that was a common thing I know I remember the day that I guess he started to get in trouble for that um I'm not really sure exactly what happened but. I remember my mom coming home one day and just saying, I remember this clearly, and I don't have a ton of memories, um, but I do remember this clearly. She came home and was like, this is really, really bad. Uh, we're not going to be able to work for free anymore and do the work of the Lord, and we're going to have to get paid, and you know, some people that are like in sin and not following Jesus have to ruin it. For everyone, basically, is, is the gist of what she was saying. Yeah. It's but what you were saying before about the multi-level marketing thing, Danielle is a person that I actually grew up with Danielle. She was my one of my neighbors, and she was one of my high school friends. And I have talked to her outside of the recording, and I was like, am I the one that sucked you in? You know, am I the am I the person that called and was like, "Come on, Danielle, let's go, let's go to like, you know, are you committed, are you devoted or not?" Because I know we were all trained to do that, and I had to recruit people, and we yeah. all were really trained to do that. Um, but she ended up actually joining the church and being a part of it while I was basically on my way out, and so she was in there after I was in there, basically, and the multi-level marketing thing that she starts talking about with the disciples and stuff, I didn't even know about any of that until she said it on the recording. I remember that my mom was talking about cell groups randomly, but I didn't know anything that she was, what she was talking about. But Danielle, when I, I heard her recording or not heard her recording, when I did the recording with her and interviewed her um, and she was talking about this, I was, really surprised i had no idea about that that was after my time um but i will say that i have always felt that there was some sort of totem pole and i was i felt like my family was really on the bottom i never felt that we were i felt that there definitely was ranking and there was definitely some sort of hierarchy and um the leaders were at the top the person with the business there were actually two leaders that had businesses um they were at the top and in England, it was John Heber and the prophet. And basically, there were the leaders and the leaders' families. The families were at the top as well. And Cyro had a lot of kids and a lot of grandkids. And we were all friends with all of them. And those people I felt were at the top. But I've talked to a lot of those people after I've done this podcast, a lot of them have reached out to me. I've been reached out to by a lot of people. Yeah. And a lot of the people, even Cyrus relatives and everything, a lot of them are like, you know, I did not feel like I was at the top at all of anything. In fact, I felt that I was the one under the microscope even more and I was under a lot of scrutiny. I think that even the people at the top were put through hell too. It wasn't that they escaped the criticism and the the fear tactics and and the pressure and control i don't think that anyone escaped it even the people at the top 
because I can mm. look at them and just say like they, you know, were on this completely different level. But I think that they were all, all in the game, and <laughs> it was anybody could uh, turn on anyone. And yeah. as Seth says, anyone could go rabbit on anybody. It just trickles you know? down, and yeah. that's what we were taught to do. I, I think that it. I think that what it it only works for just a small amount of people, maybe two or three people at the top and that's 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 really who it really works for it doesn't work for it might, it might not even work for their families I, I, one of the things that i think uh i think seth talks about where he he is t- he's saying that they would go to do these cast out these principalities in in a location right you know the powers of principalities i guess from the book of uh, i guess it's ephesians and or then, whatever yeah, the darkness the power, yeah. yeah the power so, of principalities yeah so they would go and they would do this and one of the things that he talks about the incidents he talks about was they went to alaska and they stayed at this incredibly expensive hotel they had to have always like the nicest place the nicest hotel uh you had to, the a, a a need would come out into the church and they would say Oh, we are, we, we need, we have this need. So we need everybody to give something. And it would end up being like a $20,000 trip to Disney world for an entire family of the people at the top. And it's just, and and then you talk about like that whole thing about informing. I mean, you're talking, I mean, that's basically what it is. You're just, you just, you're taught to inform on each other. And it's, it's a totalitarian society, really. I mean, it's just like yeah. Nazi Germany or Soviet Russia or Stalin. I mean, it's the same I mean, I was thing. Just thinking yeah. like today, I was just like, you know what? We are, we are literally capable of believing anything. Because look at Nazi Germany. You know, yeah. I mean, we are literally humans. We are capable of believing anything. We really, I don't want to say we all really need to question our beliefs, but um, I don't think it could hurt for anyone to question their belief system or question things that they've been believed or thought of thought for a long time, because humans are not always right. And humans are, we look back and we realize, Oh, maybe that wasn't so great. But you know, this whole group of people, they really thought that they were right. They really thought that God called them to be a light on the hill. And everyone else was kind of at the bottom of the hill. And when I say everyone else, I mean everyone else in the entire world on this planet. This is the only little church, or churches, two churches, that were called to be the light on the hill, according to these people. And they were the only ones that were truly saved and true Christian. Uh, That's what I believed for a long time. And We're the elect. (laughs) Yeah, so we're the only ones that know the right way. And we have the true Jesus and the true message. And, you know, there was just this air. When I think back, there's just there was just this air about these leaders and these people and the adults. And a lot of them, you could just almost, like, feel the dense egos. Like, I know what's right and I am superior. You know, you could, I, I, like, I couldn't feel it. I couldn't communicate what it was or think about what it was at the time but now I look back and it's just like oh and it was so crazy is they would like preach about pride and arrogance and it's like they it's so crazy now like this is this blows my mind 
the things that they preached about and the things that we prayed against and the things we were so focused on, sexual parity and being right with God and, you know, just all these things, we were actually, like, it, it just boggles my mind. They were so focused on purity and uh, like those righteousness. Things, and, those things were being projected by people, like people like were projecting their own problems. They were projecting their own, like, darkness. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, I look back and it's just like, I was so terrified as a kid in this environment. It felt like a horror movie. That's how, like, how it felt to me. I was always so afraid because they were always talking about, you know, that there was this spiritual war, spiritual battle going on, and that this was number one priority in my life, was to fight against the devil and the, you know... Yeah. To fight against the demons and the sin and the evil and the darkness. And it's like, it turns out to be like, they were the darkness. These these things that they were believing that they were putting into my life, that was the darkness, you know? They became what um, they're the fighting against. They were the pe- yeah. thing that they were fighting against. And that's, I think that's what boggles my mind. It still blows me away to think about it. When I'm going through this, healing and I'm just you know kind of going through like my thoughts where is this thought coming from and it stems from something like that it just blows it just blows me away they like for example the sexual purity thing they were so all about sexual purity and righteousness and blah 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 that they basically high pressure they were so obsessed with it that they were obsessed with this sexual sin that they forced people and pressured people to admit to these crazy sins yeah things that people yeah. did not do and so it got to a point where they were like the one like lady, everyone the one lady the, the good case in point was the one lady that, that she was told that like you have like your sexual desire for your own children and just yeah there were people there was like they wanted these weird confessions because they were vicariously getting off. On yeah, it. yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's just like, what the heck happened there? That is very disgusting. You know, like that's disgusting. They they forced this person hours and hours of interrogation in the night to confess to doing something she didn't do, which was like have sexual thoughts for her own children. Okay, which is crazy. And then they forced her to, you know, sleep on the floor like a dog. And then they cast her. Oh, yeah, that's that's the person. They cast her out of the church. And she was homeless. Yeah. Um, and then she didn't even get to have a relationship with her daughters for many, 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 many years. And, oh, my goodness, it's sick. You know, that they were so concerned about purity and righteousness and 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 fighting against sin, but look at what they were doing. They were monsters destroying this person's life. Now, they didn't look at it that way. They thought they were in the right. They thought they knew everything. They, they thought that, you know, their ego was on the top. They, they thought they were superior, and they knew what's right. They knew what's best. They, they, they didn't think that they were in the wrong they at were that convinced time, obviously. They were convinced of They it. were convinced. They believed yeah. this. They right. believed this. Yeah, it's just Do- not. Do you mind talking about how you left? Sure. Um, so I decided to leave when I turned 18. Well, 
it was before I turned 18, I was basically waiting for waiting to turn 18 because I could, I was trying to figure out how in the world I was going to be able to get out. Um, I ran away several times. One of the times that I ran away, I still have an, I still have nightmares about this. Um, actually I have nightmares a lot about running away. Um, and I have nightmares about, you know, running all over and trying to hide and, uh, but one time that I ran away, it was because everyone lived in the same. It was kind of weird. Everyone lived within walking distance. Um, so, you know, where I lived, by the time I left, I lived like a few houses down from all the pastors and from lots of people, leaders, elders in the church. So I hid in bushes at one point when I was trying to run away and I was waiting for my ride, my my school friend to pick me up and us, you know, drive away together. And I have nightmares and I don't know if it's a hundred percent true because it's sometimes my memory is fuzzy and I, I don't know if it's something is a hundred percent true. And it's like, you know, I here's it happened to someone else on this podcast. And then it's like, I'm kind of validated that, Hey, this was true, but I have nightmares a lot about hiding in the bushes and there being like flashlights and pe- I couldn't hear voices of people being like, you know, have you looked for her there? Um, no, let's go look here, you know. So I, I kind of have this faint feeling that, you know, I was being searched for. Um, but I didn't uh, include that information in my book because it's like I don't want to include any information that I don't know is 100% accurate. And, right. You know, right. but these are the things that, like, you know, I mean, so I may after this conversation, someone might call me and say, hey, I remember you did, you know. We were searching for you. You were in the bushes, you know. But I did, I did run away several times, and I was trying to get out. Um, I was in my do, – do you want me to talk about my my trip to England? You sure. can hear a yeah. lot of my story yeah. when you uh, listen to my episode. And I, I do think that you'll get more from listening to my – the people will get more – the listeners will get more from listening yeah, to my I mean, episode got, than like, to hear like, me talk about it because it's very difficult for me to like tell the whole story. Yeah, I think you've got like eight hours of testimony basically on that yeah. on that podcast so far. So yeah, but basically, I applied for call it to college behind my mom's back. At that time, my dad. I was not talking to my dad because he had left the church, and the story is in episode one of my podcast, my story is really hard for me to, to, um, go through, tell the whole thing, um, again, but you can definitely listen to it. And, uh, I'll give you kind of a, uh, I guess, uh, what's it called? Synopsis. Synopsis. There you go. And, uh, but yeah, I applied to college behind my mom's back when I turned 18 um college was not really a thing that the group encouraged if you wanted to go to college it was kind of more something if you go to community college they might let you go but you have to run that by people you can't just go to college you can't just choose what career you want you can't choose to even really be involved with your with hobbies or, uh, and if it's going to have anything to do with, uh, distracting you from kind of putting the group first, 
then it's going to probably be a problem. So you have to be put. You have to put your dedication and your commitment and your priority, your loyalty first to the group. So if anything get got in the way of that, because you had to be there like all the time and spend a lot of hours there, then you know it was a problem. Um, so they definitely didn't really believe in going to college like away from home. Like you had to either commute. You, there's no way you can leave and just go across the country and go to college. Like that is not going to happen. So that's why I applied to college behind my mom's back. I waited till I was 18 so that I didn't need her to sign off on it. And I didn't need her permission. And then when I got the acceptance letter in the mail, I knew I was free and I basically waited until the last possible second and, and told her that I was leaving and um, I left and people did try to stop me. Um, one of the leaders did try to stop me and kind of threatened me. And then I left and when I went to college, I called my mom and she cut ties with me on the phone. She just told me, you know, she was really disappointed in the path that I chose to take and that I wasn't following Jesus anymore. And Jesus wasn't happy with me because what they believed in this group was you had to do exactly what this group of people believed, basically the leaders, what they believed or else Jesus hates you. And they said a lot that if you are in sin and something happens to you and you die, then it is most likely that God, when you get to heaven, God will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, I never knew you. And they would say that all the time. That was a common thing. So everyone was really afraid of losing their salvation and not being right with God. And if something happens that you're in sin and you do something wrong, then God is not happy with you. And if you die, you will go to hell. <laughs> and God will be like, I never knew you. And he will absolutely turn his back on you. And that was just like the major belief in this place. And so it was just a lot of fear because you constantly had to think about what am I doing right now? What am I thinking about right now? Because if you don't think, act, and say things that they want you to, perfectly the way that they deem is right and correct and and perfect then they are going to show up and say I saw this and I think you're not doing well with Jesus like your relationship with Jesus is not doing well and they are very passionate about that and so you were just always I was just always on walking on eggshells with anything I did or said but then at the end I just started to just not believe it anymore because I just felt like this isn't love like this is not kind at all like I can't do it I can't be a part of it if if God is real there's no way that he just hates everybody and there's just this angry thing in the clouds that is just can't wait to just say depart from me i never knew you at a certain point like, like the I just programming don't believe for it you. yeah at some point and 
Um, yeah, and then the whole Cyro thing, I just started to just not not believe in that anymore. Um, I went to England. Um, I was promised a trip to go to England. Um, and that was a big thing. You'll hear about this in the, in the podcast. If, oh, people went back and forth to England. You know, I went there several times to go to weddings. And, um, also if someone, they had no problem breaking up a marriage. And if, one person was kind of more committed than the other person, then they would just send the committed person to England and then just kind of get the other person to get out. I feel like that, that is potentially what happened with my parents. My parents basically broke up while I was in England. So what happened was I was promised this trip to go to England, which is supposedly this honor. Um, and now I'm finding out that this happened to a lot of kids my age. I was a teenager. I was a junior in high school. Um, when I got to England, I thought that I was going on this vacation. And when I got there, uh, I got a call from Cyrus, who is the prophet. And, you know, basically she said that I was in sin. And that's what would happen is, like, we would get random calls from people People would show up at my house, you know, you're in sin. People would take me aside at church or wherever I am because the group was always together. The people were always together at each other's houses and stuff. It was a very much close-knit community um, of people. I mean, almost like a, a family. And we very much were always in each other's, up each other's bums. <laughs> we were in yeah. each other's faces a lot. And knew each other you know like jane jane describes we knew each other's weaknesses so i mean they would harp on people left and right we would we would turn on each other snitch on each other whatever um and but cyro this is one thing about cyro okay you know she used to guess things and a lot of times i think that the guessing came from the prayer meetings because people would have these like prayer meetings and I would hear people say like please pray for Johnny you know Johnny is not in sin you know he's not walking with the Lord he's in sin he's having a hard time and then all of a sudden it's like Johnny would get a phone call and it's like the Lord has told me that you're in sin and it's like oh you know I started to like kind of notice that stuff happening and I'm like okay this is no miracle this is no this, this is no surprise like I just witnessed this woman talking about Johnny like two days ago or, you know, whoever. Right. It's not. <laughs> right. Like, I started piecing that together, okay? And then I started, like, you know, like, if, if, if someone prayed in the prayer meeting, like, I have this miracle that I need, this need that I, I need met of, you know, I need groceries and I don't know how it's going to happen. And then it's like, groceries appear on their doorstep the next day. It's just, you know, when that stuff started to happen, it's like, I can't, it's like I started piecing things together slowly, you know, it's just slowly started piecing things together. I can't even tell you, like, there was a specific moment where I was like, I don't believe this anymore, but it was just kind of like, uh, you know, over time I was just like, I don't know, you know? And then finally when I was in England, 
Syro, you know, she guessed wrong. And I think that happened to a lot of people. It's like she guessed her sins. You know, sometimes when she guesses, she's right. Kind of. Like, it's like you can see that. Like, if they know your weaknesses. So it's like, you know, they may have heard about what you did yeah. at the prayer meeting. But it... So they might be guessing right. And then so you're like, oh, crap, God knew. And then, but she basically, when I was in England, she guessed wrong. The price is wrong. <laughs> yeah. But it, but, but it essentially didn't matter whether she guessed wrong or right, because everybody was just going to follow what she said anyway. Yeah, but you know, they, so it had it had consequences. Oh, it, it definitely, absolutely yeah. had consequences, no matter what. But that, that lets you sow seeds of doubt. Believe it, because if you, if a leader or if someone takes you aside, or if Cyro takes you aside, or if anyone takes you aside and says you're insane, you did this. This is on my. A lot of them would say, "This is on my heart, and I'm really feeling this, Adam. I'm really feeling from the Lord." you you did something that's not right you know and it's just and a lot of it would be not tangible things like i really feel like you have a lot of pride and arrogance adam and you really need to repent adam and it'd be really like this high pressure passionate emotional like i'm looking into your eyes and i really believe this (laughs) And, and also if you do not say i'm sorry and go through the repentance process you're even in you're in worse trouble. Like we're gonna have to call in backup here. It's, we're gonna have to get backup involved. Because then you definitely got pride. It's psychological torture, oh. is what it is. Yeah, it was psychological torture, and and I really feel like I was a lot of times in this kind of situation where I was on trial, or I was some sort of um, uh, what's the word? I was under investigation or like under, yeah like I can picture when I think of my childhood I think of like FBI investigation a like flashlight in my face like it's not that they've had a physical flashlight in my face but it's like that's what it was like it, it felt like just like I could be cornered at any time I and people would ask questions and they they really didn't have a lot of boundaries um so I could ask you Adam how's your relationship with Jesus going and if whatever you say, if you say, oh, it's going really good, I could say, Adam, that, that really sounds prideful to me or something, you know. Or if you say yeah. it's not going very well, I say, well, then, Adam, oh, my goodness, then you really need to, you know, get right with God and repent, you know. So it's like there are no right answers, okay? Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, because it's, cause it's not about that, ultimately. It's just about... It, whether it's conscious or subconscious, it's just honestly just about just establishing this control and this dominance so that this system yeah. that they have set up continues. And, and at that point, all you want to do is stay out of trouble. And yeah. You don't really think about anything else except what can I do to, to stay out of trouble in this moment? What can I do to protect myself? Um, which a lot of that is probably use, past the book then and just look for other people to blame for stuff like to take take the the spotlight off of you. Uh, I don't know. You know, I don't really remember. I just remember you know, I don't really remember what my responses would be. I just remember freezing up and a lot and just feeling yeah. I you know what's so crazy? It's like I don't remember a lot of things, but I remember the feelings. 
that I had in this place and around certain people. And I just remember being so scared uh, that something bad was going to happen to me. And that was just the feeling a lot. And they even preached about that a lot. Like just, you know, they just wanted, there was a lot of fear involved with this. Um, You just had to almost feel inferior, like in order to stay safe, like feel inferior and like be a servant of Jesus. Um, They said that you have to really be a servant and have a servant's heart. That was a big thing. And I think the more inferior that you show people that you feel and that you believe about if you hate yourself basically um then they're going to kind of raise you up and make you feel good and say like you're jesus is happy with you because you're having such a horrible time you're struggling you're suffering and obviously you're doing a great job because the devil feels threatened and he's come to your home to like you know steal kill and destroy but he's you know he's against you because you you know, you've done well because you're this faithful servant. So it's like they praised you if you were inferior, if you were, you know, submissive and inferior. Um, Right. Because that's how they maintain control and that's how they could get people to work for free and how they could get people to uh, help put them up in large hotels and the nicest hotels imaginable and, trips to Disney world. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just all manipulation and psychological control. I, I wonder sometimes, and I think, you know, I, I just wonder sometimes with these cult leaders and I think these cult leaders in general, whether or not some of them really believe what they're saying. Because like L Ron Hubbard is a, I think a good example. Oh my God. I, I wonder uh, if, I think Hubbard, coming? I think Hubbard was just like I don't think he believed a word of his own BS. I, I think oh, really? he just he, uh, he I mean he'd even made statements of just like I need to start a religion and I'll, I'll make a lot of money out of it, you know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. But, you know, um yeah, that's true about I I remember I remember hearing that. But uh, you want to hear something that's crazy is L. Ron Hubbard really John Hibbert really reminds me of L. Ron Hubbard. Like they just they're I feel like they remind me of each other a little bit, but I actually loved John Hibbert. And I think, like, I loved him. When I was a little kid, I absolutely loved him. I didn't see him very often. So when he came to town, I was, like, really excited. I He was kind of like this, you know, hmm, how do I explain this? He was just kind of almost like a celeb almost. When he came to visit, I just, absolutely loved him and he was sweet to me I, he never did anything specifically to me that you know what I mean like I was right. probably too low on the totem pole for him to you know actually give me a call um and also I was a child and he was probably maybe more concerned with the adults yeah the, the charismatic leader he was definitely a charismatic leader and if you can look him up anybody that's listening you can look him up, and there are preachings. It, they might trigger you big time if you're, if you've <laughs> dealt with this kind of religious trauma or abuse or whatever. Um, but he, his sermons, some of his sermons are online um, for you to watch, and you can tell he's extremely passionate about the Bible. 
and, and his beliefs. Very, very passionate. And I, I think that that was a big key thing in this place. Everyone was filled with a lot of zeal, and they were very devoted and very... When you asked about the leaders, I know the leaders in Connecticut, um, you know, I don't understand. Uh, if, that's the million-dollar question. Like, I don't understand. Did they get off on these? Did they enjoy those? Like, did they just have no idea? Like, were they just following and they had no idea how much this was going to damage and affect people? And, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know, I don't think that they were aware of how much damage these beliefs were going to cause. I'm, I'm, I'm really not sure. I think their ego was so large and puffed up that they were probably just like, you know what? I'm doing the right thing. I'm helping this world because look right. at me. I have all the right answers. And if you join me, I think they really believed it. I think, yeah, I think they did. Yeah, I think that's um, the fine line. That's what I wonder. I think it's a case-to-case basis because if you look at like, you know, I believe, I think David Koresh believed everything he was saying, you know? Yeah, um, and I, I, you know, it's like our egos will believe anything. If, if it makes us feel superior, makes us feel better about ourselves, you know what I mean? Like, we have to keep it in check, you know? Like, are our thoughts really, like, making us feel better than other people or making us control other people? Or when it, when it comes to a point where it's like, I know the right way and it's black and white and you have to do what I say or else you will not be accepted and loved and, uh, you know, uh, that's, that's where it's there's no way that I can believe that crap anymore uh it doesn't help anyone well, <laughs> it doesn't well, help anyone it has only hurt people <laughs> let me ask you this before we kind of before we because we're getting kind of low on time but I wanted to ask you um yeah. you know, this was 20 years ago your experience so is this group still yeah. are they still around I mean do you, you know like are they I mean I I, I want to think that they're that big of a group it was not a big group. It was a, it was a small independent group. So like a few hundred people here, and a few hundred people in England. Yeah. So um, I want to challenge anybody that's listening that's interested in this group, that's fascinated by this group, and captivated by this story of this group, um, to look up what happened in England, because, uh, and I don't want to give it away too much, but the church that in England did dissolve because there was a huge dramatic thing and it's in the newspapers and in, and on the news and everything. There's a huge dramatic thing that happened. Basically it looks like, you know, I wasn't there, but it looks like what happened was, and this is very, very recent, like last year. Um, it looks like what happened was there was, they were putting on this huge production, like Broadway kind of type, musical and just asking the congregation to to just give tons and tons and tons of money and it just ended up backfiring on them um and the show look it looks like it went bankrupt and they uh, they owed a lot of money like i think it was like john hebert or something they owed a lot of money um so you can look that up look into that it's interesting to see what happened there i would love to to if this podcast does continue I'm trying to grow the audience and see where it goes but if this podcast does continue I'd love to, to dive into that and ask people because I haven't had anyone from England on yet yeah 
And I, I, I think a lot of people in England are, because it just, it just shut down, like the, the church in England. So, um, so there might be some aftermath I of, of that. Still, I think that they're still dealing with the aftermath of that. There's still probably a lot of shock, and it just, they may, a lot of them have said to me, like, I just need to, I just want to move on. I just want to move on. I, I just want to stop talking about it. I guess it's in the newspaper and the news, yeah. and it's just kind of a big thing over there. Um, but unfortunately, it's been like 20 years, and I still haven't moved on. And so if you've only been out for a year, I don't know you're able to just move on just like that because the way that I was programmed as a child to think certain things, to believe certain things about myself and the world and the people around me and uh, it just uh, it affects me every day almost all day, every day and I'm unraveling it I'm, you know, it's like an onion, I'm peeling back the layers, there's just like a billion layers so far and it's been 20 years, you know so I'm really diving into this healing, but it's, you know, you can't just move on. You can't just wish it away. You can't just pretend like it never existed or just say, you know, I'm going to get a puppy and move on. It's not that easy. You know, um, you have to face what this thing really was and you have to face all of the demons, all of the darkness and accept it before you can really be able to start moving on and, uh, and deprogram yourself, you know? Um, from these crazy beliefs. Yeah, that was something that was something that when we talked to Alex Simchuk with the multi-level marketing stuff, I mean, he still pretty much uses the language like it's ingrained into him, the same language yeah. that they would use. And, you know, speaking to you when you're giving me the examples of how they would do what they would do to people, how they would psychologically torture, you picked that up. You're like, you, yeah. you can do it. <laughs> I did you know, it too for a minute there. Yeah, I was on you fire. did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, it's I like really the, I really felt the spirit of it because I I can get into that mode if I want to yeah, because right. I was surrounded by all of these people that we all had the same. We all did it. We all could do it to each other, and it was almost like <laughs> the spirit of Satan or the spirit of Cyro or whatever you want to call it. It was this. You know, I'm going to turn on you, and I'm going to you're a piece of crap unless you do what I say. It's, it's, you know, cause I know what's right and you don't. It's fascinating to me. And, and listening to your podcast is fascinating in just in so many ways. But one of the ways it fascinated me of just like, it's foreign to me as someone that didn't grow up in something like this, you know, I grew up in just normal churches. I didn't go to church for a long time, you know, but it's fascinating to me just how people will just abdicate their will, their responsibility. And and it's, 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 it, it, it's unbelievable to me because I don't understand it, but, but, you know, talking to you and reading your book and I've listened to your podcast, it's just like, it becomes their world. It becomes who they are. It becomes what they are. I mean, is that the more natural state though? Because is, is that the, you know, tribal way of thinking? You know, are we yeah, kind of the those exception? Things can, those yeah. things can be used, yeah. When you're in this environment, um, it's definitely not going to work well for you to think outside the box and to question yourself, question anything, or, you know, you can't doubt anything or you'll get in trouble, so you're just a little too afraid to, you know, think for yourself. But 
then when you get outside of the group and you realize that you have the freedom to, you know, think whatever the heck you want to think and there's, like, literally no repercussions and you don't have to be afraid anymore, um, it's really a beautiful thing, but it still feels like this unpopular thing because I, like, I live in, we live in the Bible Belt, so it's really, like, unpopular for me to be, like, what is it that I believe now? Like, do I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from my sins? You know, because I've been taught for so many years. If you do not believe that, and Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior, like, you are absolutely, that is not the popular decision here. Then that is not, like, a lot of people are going to judge you. You know, a lot of people are going to put you in a box and label you and feel sorry for you and tell you, try to save you. And um, so I'm still, like, dealing with this. Like, of, you know, like, am I really free to believe what I want to believe? And, you know, like, it's not easy to to say I'm not going to uh, put pressure on myself to believe what the popular belief system is. Um, it's still really scary for a lot of people. And a lot of people have, like, conservative Christian, like, where I live, it's a, you know, a lot of people still have that conservative Christian views of everything. And, uh, you know, I, it is really difficult to, to work with that, to deal with yeah. that. It really is, especially around the holidays. And I know like, there's just a lot of things that trigger me. And I think there's a lot of things that trigger a lot of people. And, you know, we're very sensitive beings and I'm I'm I'll just speak for myself I was a very very sensitive child and I'm realizing now how sensitive I really was I really couldn't handle that environment it was very negative for me it was um very fearful for me I was full of fear all the time and I'm still undoing that I'm still working on that and uh now it's like I'm dealing with you know being feeling triggered a lot of the time and yeah, it's there's a really big consequence to this group. I'm living it, and a lot of people in the second generation, I'm not alone. They're really suffering and struggling in certain ways. You know, my brother and then some of my little friends that I had in the church were all struggling in different ways, and it's unfortunate. <laughs> It really is. Well, it the, sounds the like the, happening. Yeah, the book and your podcast, though, is going to be really positive, you know, because it, it lets the other uh, former members, you know, know that there is that you can, you know, speak out about it or, or they'd have other people yeah. to talk to. And, you know, kind of sounds like you've already kind of got a, you know, an informal kind of support group around it. Yeah, it's therapeutic for you, yeah. too, what you're doing. Uh, yes, I think that is so true you know this uh the last episode is this you know the season finale Dane talks about you know doing whatever it takes to be kind to yourself to heal yourself um and you know I'm learning to love myself and things like that and I'm I'm able to share my story and it is encouraging people it's inspiring people to share their story to dive into their healing to, to look at these things to not be in denial anymore. Um, and I have this um, Instagram that I just started. 
I'm just like figuring out what the heck I want to do with it. But basically, I'm trying to share my story and share how, you know, what's helping me deprogram myself and heal from this stuff. Um, because every day I do face these things, but I have had a lot of support and I'm extremely thankful for that. The prior members of this group are extremely supportive and they're wonderful. They've been wonderful. And also my listeners of my podcast and the people who have purchased my book, I am so appreciative of people that listen to this podcast and purchase my book because it feels so supportive. <laughs> it feels so good because there was just for so long I was I felt so alone. So to know that there are people that can relate or be inspired or encouraged or whatever from hearing my story and hearing my my journey here with this and then also hearing, you know, obviously the other contributor stories, hearing the story of this place. And then also hearing my journey of how I'm healing and trying to undo this stuff, the psychological stuff. Um, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. And I hope that if there are any listeners that and say hello, I would love that and connect with people that, you know, it's really embarrassing and not easy to admit this stuff. You know, that yeah. you're dealing with trauma. It is actually extremely humiliating and embarrassing. It feels humiliating and embarrassing. Because I feel like there is a stigma with it. I mean, if you told me right now that you were dealing with that stuff, I would probably initially judge you. I mean, but that's probably just because of where I came from with this group. But um, I feel like there's still this, this stigma on anything related to mental health. Still, you know, like you still think of like 1950s, like, I'm going to commit you, like, into, you're insane, you know, um, I still feel like that's, that's, that's there a little bit. Um, but yeah, I agree. I'm so proud of where our humanity has come with that, with where I can talk about this stuff and not be burned to a, you know, on a stake. <laughs> you know, like, we can talk about this and there is freedom of speech and I'm, and I'm not going to be burned and. And I'm safe, and like we've come really far, so I'm like super thankful for that. Um, well, Naomi, I'm thankful this... I can you know connect with people and stuff, and and talk about this stuff. Absolutely, absolutely, and we're glad that you're out there doing it. Um, I highly recommend the podcast. Where can people find the show and also get your book? So the book is on Amazon. It's called The Cult in My Living Room, and. Uh, the podcast is on pretty much any podcast platform, most, you know, the major ones. Um, and it's called Cult in Connecticut. And yeah, you can find me on Instagram under Naomi Van Winkle. And I'm really working on growing the audience so I can hopefully do season two, maybe. And also, um, I'm working on more writing. Because I need to write a longer book. <laughs> the book is short. But I really appreciate anybody who does listen and, and who does purchase it and, and listen to my story. I really, really, really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Yeah, I think that it's a, uh, I think that it's a good start for sure. Absolutely. It's a good start. It's a good start. I'm not a, I'm not a Pulitzer Prize winner just yet. 
<laughs> I'm not a, a New York Times bestseller just yet, but that's you know that's the goal. Someday. You got you got to start somewhere. I think it's I think it's good to bring awareness of this. Um, thank you, Naomi. We're going to close this uh, section out. Uh, stay on the line for us, and uh, guys, we'll be right back to close out the show on Conspiracy Normal. back and you may have noticed a slight change somewhere in there in audio quality because we had a possibly of, we had a bit of a technical difficulty with these uh the way that these podcasts hours and hours of recorded uh 24-bit waves uh take up space so my hard drive actually one of my hard drives tapped out i didn't realize it was getting close yeah he filled up his entire one terabyte hard drive guys so that it, it's a lot of conspiranormal. That's a lot of conspiranormal. It's a lot on there of conspiranormal goodness. Uh, so um, that was an interesting show with Naomi about cults. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, sounds pretty. Uh, sounds like it's pretty traumatizing experience. Uh, besides that, you know, we we have a lot of these people in our country because we have this religious freedom you know that if it's that's the irony i mean even to be i'm saying like you know even uh as cynical as you want to be about this experiment it is if nothing for nothing else like mitch harwas talks about it's for religious experimentation and freedom so we have to balance that i don't know how a lot of times we're seeing some of the worst abuse in the most mainstream of religions in this country and around the world. So I really don't like to see a lot of people kind of going after small, more marginal groups because they seem strange. You know, that seems real un-American to me, but at the same time, you know, how do we catch illegal and abusive behaviors? And what is that? What is that line? You know, it's really, I I think you, I think you gotta be vigilant. I think if, I think if anyone, anyone anywhere is being exploited in any way, I don't care about who it is. Even if they want to be exploited, they shouldn't be being exploited. I don't, well. That's just, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's that's kind of how I would, that's how I would kind of yeah, think Yeah, but how it. do you, I mean, people are volunteering for churches all the time. I mean, doing work for free. Yeah, it's like, it's, yeah, it's like mean, where do you yeah, draw this line? I mean, there, I, I understand yeah. there has to be a line, um, but it's, it's tough. Um, I definitely feel sorry for you know all the people who are victimized by and are still probably being victimized by this group, by this group and and others like it and mainstream religions. Um, but um, it's just uh, the the most important thing I think is to just educate yourself on these different religions before you join them. And I think that's really great. That's what she's really doing. Yeah, I, I definitely um, her doing this and bringing this out to the forefront is she's doing something that. I think no one else is at least in that group that has been in there has been doing. And I think definitely using that, the podcast medium to do it, I think is a great idea. And I think it's just going to be people's awareness of what is going on. I mean, this uh, group has been gotten a lot of, has had a lot of problems and a lot of government uh, agencies in Britain and I probably, but mostly in England, have like they put him on uh that they were what was it called it's actually on here in the book of knowledge page 
where it talks about they were the British MP calls for group to be placed on register. Yeah. So yeah, in so 2000, after critical reporting on organization exposed controversial practices by the group, British MP for Mansfield, Alan Mill, publicly requested that such religious groups and cults be placed in a register. See, but I mean, I'm not, I don't know if I'm comfortable with something like that. I mean, that's not, yeah. but, but that is another country who do not have, does not have the, uh, you know, the, the extreme uh, religious freedom that we have. Well, even, even Naomi had talked about how that, you know, that tire place, the guy's tire place yeah, got in a totally. lot of trouble for not paying people yeah, yeah. for having basically essentially slave labor. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really what it was. And that's, I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean, I know you're right about that fine line thing. But it's like, you, I think but that's you might want to just That's take, legal. When you're breaking the law, you're breaking the law. Yeah, right. When, when you're breaking you're, the law, you're breaking the law. You're physically abusing people, you're breaking the law. When you're uh, having people work a regular non, uh, non-profit business for free, you're breaking the law. Yeah, exactly. You're holding people against their their will, you're breaking the law. So that's, that's, that's the line. But it's just, uh, I think the fine line is in like who gets who gets targeted for what reasons, you know? So it's, it's pretty wild, but uh, I'm definitely, I'm definitely not a fan of colds. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. And my other takeaway from that is from this interview is I wonder the people that are really in charge, the people that are in charge of this, how much they actually believe, whether they believe that they are doing the right thing or that there's some kind of more pragmatic interest involved where they, they just realize hey we got this good racket going where we can just make these people work for us i think there might be a little bit of both here here's something i think also about a lot of these cults um i think a lot of this becomes like i don't think necessarily a lot of these cult leaders set out to create a cult but i think they get tempted by the subservience of people around them and then they're like, holy shit, I can just do what I want. Holy shit, I can, you know, I think yeah. a lot of it comes from, I'm not trying to blame the victim, but I think a lot of it comes from uh, people tolerating their behaviors. Um, you know, we talked about that and then like how some of these people at the top seem like they have these extreme pathologies that are then like mimicked and it trickles down and right. these people model after right. their personalities. Um, but I think a lot of people don't set out to create cults. I think they're just trying to do the, the usual, what might still be exploitative, uh, charismatic leader thing, and then it just they it just, just they just get tempted by there. the subservience of, of their flock. Yeah, it becomes it becomes this self perpetuating. Just get drunk on power yeah. machine. Yeah, eventually, and everybody else. There's probably other people that think, well, I can get further. I could probably become like the leadership. And the more that you try to model yourself off the leadership, the more you might move up. Right, right. So it probably becomes more of this kind of subconscious kind of um, attitude that's in the in that church in that insular little world. And there's a lot of that even in more more mainstream religion in in the states where. Um, you know, like she said, how sheltered she was. Like I, I still meet people all the time who like are just so unfamiliar with things that I think is like such basic parts of American culture. And it's unbelievable too. And they're like, 
Yeah. You know, they've just been totally shut off from it. Yeah, that's uh, th- there's also uh, with this interview, guys, um, you may have noticed there were some things that she didn't want to talk about because a lot of this stuff is very, personal. very, very yeah. personal to her. And so I, I, I did my best to kind of fill in some of the gaps there. But I also at the same time, I think we got a lot out of her. I think we I think eventually we were able to pull some that was things good. out. You should definitely go check yeah. out the podcast because it's really good. Yeah, check it out, guys. It will. It really will blow your mind. It's absolutely fascinating. Just the stories, just it's unbelievable. I, it, to think that that to, for me personally, as someone that really believes in like free will, to think that people would just abdicate that. But once you're in it when you're in it it's a totally different thing i think looking outside and being in are two totally different aspects mm-hmm. was there anything else that we wanted to add about that before we call it um just i don't know that that extreme tribalism that us versus them versus the outside world thing it's just it's it's fascinating to me how how uh, how many of these groups exist, you know, and that's that's like the price. I mean, I think that's just the price we pay, unfortunately, for our extreme religious freedom, you know, which I totally support. Yeah, but you have abuses of it, just like the abuses of all the other freedoms. So I'd like to do a fuller thing, maybe sometime, maybe one of those extra Patreon segments that we've talked about. Cult profiles, about doing that's a just cool like thing. talking about just like various kind of cults, and uh, because there's some interesting ones that are that are still out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the 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 children of God cult, which is notorious, yeah, for abuse. Yeah, you know, like uh, River Phoenix and Joaquin Phoenix, they were all they were part of that. Yeah, as a as a uh, that came out of the whole like Jesus freak movement. Yeah, in the sixties, right, and it just transformed into just basically this huge like sex ring. Yeah, one that I've been interested in for a long time is a uh, Brother Stairs Ministry. Yeah, which, which uh, I first heard him on like AM radio way back in the day, talking about dinos. There never were any dinosaurs, and he'd always talk all this crazy shit. And uh, then as I got into shortwave listening, I would you know hear he would have like they'd have like six frequencies bought up at the same time, going simultaneously all night long across the world. Uh, the Overcomer Ministry is, I think, what it is called. He's this compound in South Carolina. Uh, I'm not sure if he's in prison now or not. he's just in and out of prison for abuse. He's like the end time preacher says he's the last prophet of God. And he's, I mean, he's extremely charismatic speaker and gets into all the, uh, conspiracy mythos and, you know, mixed in with the end time stuff. And so it's real, real fascinating. You know, unfortunately it's like a, it was an old habit of mine to just like listen to him because it's so entertaining, you know. But it's creepy shit. I yeah, on the short wave. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was there something that he was doing one night where like he had a whole bunch of like sirens going off or some weird shit like that that you sent me or? Oh, he he played like some fake one of those fake emergency broadcast things about like the you know government coming in and kicking your door down and all that kind of shit. And, yeah, you know. Yeah, it was like Alex Jones to like the uh, nth degree. Yeah, but only you can only be saved through him because he's the last day prophet of God. Of course, of course. You know, he's he's the only way. But yeah, that that'd be a profile on cults would be a pretty cool idea. Yeah, yeah, we should we should look into doing that, and that's what we are going to be doing. 
coming into the new year, we're going to be trying stuff like that to do that kind of those kind of episodes that are little standalone episodes, but we're only going to put those on Patreon. So if you would like to become a patron, it is all there. Go to patreon.com slash conspiranormal and you can join up right now. We have that up there for now for as little as a dollar. We may be changing that. We're not entirely sure, but we're just trying to figure out ways that uh, if you guys love the show, if you love to keep us doing what we are doing, which is that I know that that's a spiel that you hear often, but it's true. Please go on there, support us. That's a little of a, of a as a dollar. Even if we moved up to three dollars, that's still less than something than a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Yeah, just think about it that way. And, we and got that's cool, only once a month, guys. We got some cool T-shirts. I've not been seeing enough people taking advantage of that. Oh yeah, the T Public. Yeah. Cpublic.com so slash conspiranormal store. You can get them in any kind of color. You can get hoodies, whatever, with the with the classic two classic logos, the skull fez and the Bigfoot fez. Yeah, and our Sasquatch. Yep. So yeah, go to that as well. Please guys leave us a review on iTunes and don't forget about the YouTube channel, Conspiranormal Podcast on YouTube. That is there as well. Okay, that's it. All right, guys, next week, Dr. Future ends the year with us. We're going to be talking about his forthcoming book. So that is going to be happening. happening. So join us next time with Dr. Future on Conspiranormal. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done